Each week, we examine the stadium beat from every angle. With athletes like Fred Lynn. The Green Monster, they call it that for a reason. About 12 foot of it from the ground to about 12 foot up was concrete. And if you hit that, I mean, it would just tear your skin off. Joe Theismann. What a great idea this is to be able to talk about the hallowed structures that exist today. Once again, with your ticket to the action, here's Bill Hazen. Two baseball palaces take center stage this week. Yankee Stadium, Old and New, and Fenway Park. There's one man who's written books about both. His name is Harvey Fromer, and you'll meet him and learn about these two great baseball stadiums. And Stadiums USA's Mark Madoran looks at the venues for this weekend's neutral site college games, as well as stadium renovations debuting this weekend. And Mark notes that the drawings for a new Las Vegas football stadium look very familiar. But first, here's the stadium's beat with Jeff Schmidt. Jeff? Well, the roar of the crowd at this week's U.S. Open Tennis Championships in New York was not for Rafael Nadal or Serena Williams. No, the loudest cheers could be heard when, for the first time, the new roof was closed at Arthur Ashe Stadium. It happened when rain began falling during Nadal's match against Andrea Sassepi. Five minutes, 35 seconds was all it took for the roof to close. The $150 million retractable roof project was completed earlier this year. Well, all is not well between the Angels and the city of Anaheim. The city's planning commission has endorsed a 15-acre complex of shops, restaurants, and residences next to Angel Stadium. The team is crying foul. They say the new development amounts to direct competition with an entertainment district they envision in the stadium parking lot. The Angels had hoped to use revenues from their own mixed-use development to pay for stadium renovations. Stay tuned as this will continue to develop in and around Disney. Well, it was known as Joe Robbie Stadium, Pro Player Stadium, Sun Life Stadium, but Thursday night's unveiling of newly named Hard Rock Stadium in Miami had a much different feel. Fans watching the Dolphins-Titans preseason game got their first look at a new stadium canopy and high-definition replay boards. Most fans agreed the $500 million facelift gives the stadium a much more intimate feel. The Miami Hurricanes get their first look at the new venue this weekend against Florida A&M. Four Georgia-based pilots are restricted from their flight duties after their attack jets flew low over Charlotte's Bank of America Stadium. Four A-10C Thunderbolts flew at low altitude this week during a Carolina Panthers practice. The pilots were conducting routine navigation training in Charlotte. And when was the last time a stadium or arena construction project came in under budget? Hmm, safe to say never. Word this week that the Sacramento Kings new arena, the Golden One Center, ended up costing $109 million more than estimated. Final price tag is $556 million, but the Kings' ownership say they will cover the extra costs. The overruns are attributed to the Kings changing their minds on design aspects in the building process. Bill, that is the very latest. Thanks, Jeff. What is the greatest baseball stadium ever built? You could make one heck of a case for Yankee Stadium when you combine 
all of the factors together, the nature of the New York marketplace, the spotlight of it. Some of the unusual architectural aspects of the stadium are also part of this great baseball stadium. We're going to talk about it with a very uh, well-celebrated author. He's written in excess of 40 books. Dr. Harvey Fromer is visiting with us. He still teaches at Dartmouth and does a great, great job. Yankee Stadium, of course, is the subject of one of your books. Remembering Yankee Stadium is the name. It is a wonderful treatise in both words and pictures. Tell us about the story behind that. Uh, the story behind that book is that the old Yankee Stadium was going to be leveled, and the new Yankee Stadium was going to be put up uh, right alongside where it once had existed. And I was drafted or honored by the New York City and selected as the guy to be the historian for the creation of what they called Heritage Park. So the old Yankee Stadium parking lot, many people listening to your show may not realize this, uh, is not there anymore, but there on that site is Heritage Field. And uh, it has all of these uh, plaques uh, in the ground and all kinds of photographs. And I did the writing and the research for these plaques. So you take a trip down through Yankee history and Yankee Stadium history by just stepping on these plaques that are on the ground. And it's a, there are two ball fields there and a soccer field. And you just feel that you at least touch base, so to speak, because these plaques are like bases uh, with the entire history of the New York Yankees and Yankee Stadium. And then right next door is the new Yankee Stadium that, uh, to me, is a little bit like something that Mussolini would have designed, but it's there anyway. But the old Yankee Stadium really has a resonance with the fans like me who spent um, hundreds of worthwhile hours uh, watching legends in that particular ballpark. Uh, interesting thing about Yankee Stadium, perhaps the most interesting thing of all, is the Giants of New York, the New York Giants, played in the Polo Grounds, which was in Manhattan. The Yankees, or before them, they were known as the Highlanders. They played in a place called Hilltop Park, which was in the Bronx also, but uh, somehow the lease ran out, and they became tenants of the Giants at the Polo Grounds. When they made the deal to get Babe Ruth, Babe Ruth totally changed baseball, but he also changed the history of stadiums. The Yankees outdrew the Giants in their own ballpark, and John McGraw, the manager of the Giants, very famous character, told the Yankees, you've got to get out and find your own ballpark. We don't want you here anymore. Hmm. It's kind of embarrassing for you to be outdrawing your landlords. So Jacob Rupert, who was the owner of the uh, the Yankees and also the owner of the Rupert Breweries and one of the wealthiest men in the world at the time, he decided that he would find a place across the river uh, in the Bronx, directly across the river from the Polo Grounds, and that's where Yankee Stadium was built, so that you could see the Polo Grounds from the, the high up in the stands at Yankee Stadium. But he wanted Yankee Stadium to be built like a Roman Colosseum, built so that no one outside of it could look into it. Uh, that didn't happen because uh, the an L train, elevated train, ran by and dropped off passengers, and people could see into the park, not very well, 
uh, to see what the games and the lights when lights ultimately came to be. But this ballpark <clears throat> changed the whole feel of what ballparks had been. Everything around it, which was uh, farmland and dumps and you know unused land, that was an area that he was able to get bulldozed. And in 284 working days, hmm. the stadium came to be and opened up in, in, in 1923. And it was the grandest, biggest, greatest stadium, you know, in history. And as the years, the decades rolled on, uh, anybody you know, thinking, you know, about what the greatest baseball stadium in the world was had to pick Yankee Stadium as his or her choice because of its uh, grandeur, its beauty, and its history and its majesty. And uh, the book, Remembering Yankee Stadium, that I wrote, I'm an oral historian along with my wife at Dartmouth College, and one of the things that made the book special was I was able to get people who had memories of the 1920s, the time when the stadium first came into being, and we had stories about what it was like seeing Babe Ruth play, and then we go decade by decade uh, through all of the kind of thrilling events uh, the World Series, the struggles, the no-hitters, the perfect game of Don Lawson in the 56 World Series. So I, in, in doing this new book, the Ultimate Yankee book, I had so many things to pick from and to, to make in terms of the, the content that was in the book. And as you said uh, in your introduction, I think uh, if anybody had to make a choice of the greatest, the grandest, and most important stadium, not only in um baseball history, but in sports history, it has to be Yankee Stadium. Although I live in New Hampshire, in the heart of Red Sox country, and you would get an argument from fans at Fenway Park. Well, and we're going to talk about that when we return, because you've written books on both, and we're going to play the game, compare and contrast a little bit, and talk about the Fenway Park as well. Our guest is Harvey Frommer. We're going to continue and uh, go right into that line. Beautiful segue, Harvey. We'll be right back and talk about it here on Log Talk Radio. How would you like to get all of your favorite NBA team's merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep? Check out FanEssentials.net. All you do is pick your favorite sports team, and every month you get your team's gear shipped right to your door. They find the sports gear so you don't have to. Each fan box comes packed full with amazing gear. It makes a great gift idea for any sports fan. Prices start at just $34.99. Visit fanessentials.net and use promo code STADIUM and check out for 30% off your first month. Visit fanessentials.net to get all of the essentials you need. Back with Harvey Fromer, who has written two definitive books on baseball stadiums that definitely have a connection, the old Yankee Stadium and Fenway Park. In the first part of our interview, we talked about Yankee Stadium. Harvey, good to have you back. Let's talk now about Fenway Park, which in this age has really grown in prominence with the work they've done on it. It and perhaps Wrigley Field are considered to be the modern generation parks, which do have the really deep roots. Tell us about Fenway Park and what you you discovered when you learned about it in the purpose of writing the book. 
Right. The interesting thing is uh, the uh, Remembering Yankee Stadium book came first. Then I moved on to Remembering Fenway Park, and this was at the height of uh, all the rumors and all of the demonstrations and all the noise in New England for saving Fenway Park because the idea was that they wanted to knock it down and replace it with a more modern kind of ballpark. I approached the Red Sox. The Red Sox knew that I had uh, written eight books with Yankee content, that I was kind of the, quote, Yankee writer, but they were nicer to me than the New York Yankees had been. Of course, when I started the Remembering Yankee Stadium book, the Yankees refused to cooperate with me, telling me they were doing their own Yankee Stadium book, and mine would be a competitor. Really? And this is after having written all of these Yankee books and also having worked for the Yankees writing for 18 years. So uh, you could imagine I was a little uh, ticked off. My wife said to me, we live in New England now, no, not New York anymore. We've been here for a while. Why don't you just switch to become a Red Sox fan? And I thought that was heresy. But I confess on your show, I am now and I have been a Red Sox fan since I did Remembering Fenway Park. <laughs> the people there were just wonderful with photographs, with stories, with access to interviews. The stories of Ted Williams and Joe Cronin and Babe Ruth and all kinds of people. But the two stadiums are as unlike each other as night and day. Fenway was built and it was kind of squished in amidst the interior city streets. It only seated in its prime about 30,000, 31,000. They've expanded it now with the green monster seats and some other adjustments. But it's still a very small ballpark. Uh, Yankee Stadium, when they shoehorned people in and it's, and it's biggest prime, they could get 80,000, 75,000 into that ballpark. Part of the rivalry, though, has always been Yankee Stadium versus Fenway Park. And if I had to make a choice as to which one is a more enjoyable place, even with the old Yankee Stadium thrown into the, the hoop, I would say that Fenway is far more enjoyable because there's really not a bad seat, although some of those seats are behind poles and you have to move your neck to get a good look. <laughs> but you're so much closer to the action at a place like Fenway or a place like Wrigley Field mm -hmm. than you are in some of these more cavernous uh, ballparks that exist. And uh, you could feel, they say you could feel the ghosts at Yankee Stadium and Derek Jeter said, that when the new ballpark came in, the ghosts moved over from the old Yankee Stadium and all the tradition and all the mystique. I don't know if they quite moved over, <laughs> but nobody had to move over for, at Fenway Park because Fenway Park still stands. And sometimes I wonder uh, why did they really tear down the old the Yankee Stadium and put the new one into action in 2009? To me, it seemed kind of workable. But uh, I'll leave that to the politicians to debate. The Yankees-Red Sox rivalry, of course, has very, very deep roots, but I would imagine the thing that fuels it to this day was the trade, which brought Babe Ruth to the Yankees, and that's always been a hard one for the Red Sox to stomach and to uh, try to live down, even though they've had their own great history. How much has that trade fueled the rivalries through the uh, year? I think it'll, it, it has, and it will, always will, uh, the guy who did it was a man named Harry Frazee. He was the owner of the Red Sox at that time, and he needed uh, money. 
and he didn't. Babe Ruth wanted more money, and Harry Frazee didn't even live in Boston. He lived on Park Avenue, and he used to boast the best thing about being the owner of the Red Sox is I get to go to my beautiful place on Park Avenue in Manhattan. And that didn't hold too well with the fans of the uh, Red Sox, of course. Anyway, uh, Babe Ruth was sold by him to the Yankees, and that just changed the entire course of baseball history because up to that point in time, the Yankees had been a, a sad sack team, kind of a mediocre team and a mediocre franchise, and the Red Sox had been the dominant franchise in the American League. With that trade, the Red Sox went downhill, and then the phrase, the curse of the Bambino, you know, came into effect. They thought of it as a curse, and the Red Sox didn't win, you know, uh, for all of these decades, and people blamed that it was on the curse of the Bambino. With New York, Babe Ruth became uh, the toast of the town, and he had been a very good player, actually a pitcher to begin with, with the Red Sox, but with the Yankees, uh, he, he became what we all know is perhaps the greatest uh, drawing card and greatest player in baseball history. Well, Harvey, it is a pleasure to visit with you. Congratulations on the book. Now, for those who would like to not only perhaps look at Remembering Yankee Stadium or Remembering Fenway Park or the newest book, which is going to be coming out in just a few months now, where do they go uh, to go ahead and purchase it? It would be Harvey, H-A-R-V-E-Y dot Fromer, F-R-O-M-M-E-R at Dartmouth dot E-D-U. Or else they could all go on to HarveyFromerSports.com, and all of my books are listed there, and I'll be glad. Mint condition, discounted, and autographed. Well, now that is a deal that nobody should be passing up on. So we'll steer them your way, Harvey. We wish you all the best. Continued success with this. I think it's great. You've written an awful lot and shared so much with people. And uh, thank you for the visit. Right. Thank you for having me on. And uh, I, I think you've got a great show going. And you invite me back and I'll return. Harvey Frommer is our guest, and what a story. Remembering Yankee Stadium, remembering Fenway Park, and a new book on the way. We'll be coming back. Mark Madorn will join me next. We'll talk shop, go over this week's news. We'll take a peek inside. That's coming up right here on Blog Talk Radio. How would you like to get all of your favorite NBA team's merchandise delivered straight to your doorstep? Check out FanEssentials.net. All you do is pick your favorite sports team, and every month you get your team's gear shipped right to your door. They find the sports gear so you don't have to. Each fan box comes packed full with amazing gear. It makes a great gift idea for any sports fan. Prices start at just $34.99. Visit fanessentials.net and use promo code STADIUM and check out for 30% off your first month. Visit fanessentials.net to get all of the essentials you need. Time to talk shop once again. Mark Madoran steps forward to the microphone, ladies and gentlemen, president and creator of the Stadiums USA website, where we remind you that is the place to go, the nation's preeminent source for stadium information. You'll find out when you check it out for yourself 
at StadiumsUSA.com. You can listen to podcasts of Stadiums USA Radio on the Blog Talk Radio Network and subscribe to us on iTunes and, of course, listen to us each week on SB Nation Radio right here. Mark, college football takes center stage this weekend. Some high-profile matchups, and these are neutral site games, and they've been very popular, and the payout is excellent. Take us on a tour of some of these top games. I have a feeling we may see some teams dodging race cars, if I understand it correctly. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Uh, This year's neutral site games are really interesting, Bill. The most spectacular neutral site game isn't even a football stadium at all. It's Tennessee and Virginia playing at the Bristol Motor Speedway, which is a famed NASCAR venue. The field has been constructed in the middle of the oval. The stands will be used for the fans. Now, the cool thing about this is Bristol Motor Speedway seats 160,000 fans, and they could draw that many for this football game. Therefore, they will break the single game record uh, held by the NCAA, uh, which is um, around 110,000 or 112,000. They could beat that by some 40,000 people. <laughs> the, this game demands watching because of the facility. So I, I hope they're not going to try and run a NASCAR event at the same time. <laughs> now, that would be interesting, wouldn't that it? Would, that would be a crazy thing to do. <laughs> Second, the most intriguing venue is Lambeau Field in Green Bay, home of the Green Bay Packers, of course. And this iconic venue is hosting Wisconsin and LSU. And with mild late summer temperatures, LSU won't be at a huge weather disadvantage, although sure would be different if it was playing there in November. The Tiger fans uh, do travel well, so that should be another interesting game. Uh, The game that was played last week uh, is the Frequent Flyer Miles Bowl, played (laughs) by Callan Hawaii in Australia. The first college football game played there since 1987. And uh, some other um, interesting neutral side venues, AT&T Stadium in uh, Dallas, home of the Cowboys, uh, hosting Alabama USC. Georgia Dome is hosting Georgia, North Carolina. Um, There is a game being played in Dublin, Ireland, Georgia Tech and Boston College, although I don't understand why the the Fighting Irish aren't playing there, but that's just unusual. They have their own stadium things going on. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Yes, indeed. We will talk about that because there are some updates from what we've seen uh, from last year as far as individual stadiums are concerned. Uh, Let's get into those, Mark. Uh, I know for Beaver Stadium, for Alabama, and, of course, Oklahoma, boy, they had some big changes there. And, of course, the Notre Dame project, which is underway. Notre Dame, the traditional stadium there, got a major renovation, although it's kind of in two parts. The first part of it's done. What fans will see at South Bend this year is a new press box, updated seating. It's all part of that $400 million upgrade, which included building of academic buildings right next to the stadium. Actually, the press box is on top of one of those academic buildings. <laughs> it's kind of an interesting uh Uh, way they've done it there. The balance of the work will be completed next year by August 2017. Uh, By the way, the old wood bleachers that have been in the uh, stadium there at the top in the upper level Mm -hmm. that have been there since uh, Newt Rockney was coaching, those have all been replaced now with galvanized steel benches. So uh, that'll be uh, a lot more comfortable, I think. And uh, next year, they get their brand new video board. It did not go in with this upgrade. And... 
the toilets are working, Mark. That's always a good sign. <laughs> always an excellent thing at a stadium. Um, Beaver Stadium uh, at Penn State was remodeled. Uh, speaking of washrooms, they remodeled all of their washrooms there. That was the biggest complaint fans always had about the old Beaver Stadium is the washrooms are bad. But that's all been redone. The next stadium that uh, made a major renovation, you mentioned Oklahoma, that Gaylord Family Stadium, they did a huge amount of work in the south end zone, mm. increased the seating capacity and uh, a complete new locker facility there at Gaylord. So that's going to be a real, real nice thing to see. And I'm looking forward to taking a look at that. Mark, I was hunting around a little bit and got a view of an architectural drawing for the new proposed stadium in Las Vegas for the Raiders, and I almost fell what, over. Familiar? Oh, jeez, <laughs> I almost fell over. I couldn't believe it. Brother, did it look familiar? Why is that, Mark? <laughs> Manica Architecture was hired to produce plans for the Carson, California site that the Raiders and uh, Chargers were supposed to share. But the NFL put the kibosh on that one. There is no Carson, California project, but they still had all these plans. So they went back to Manica Architecture and they said, hey, can you erase where it says Carson, California and print in Las Vegas? So that's what they did. So they're <laughs> planning on recycling those plans for Las Vegas. I guess they really liked the design mm -hmm. and thought it would work in Las Vegas as well. Although I wonder, the site in Las Vegas is quite a bit different from Carson, California. Mm -hmm. But the Las Vegas design uh, virtually is a carbon copy when you look at the two together. Cost about the same, $1.9 Now, Las Vegas has narrowed their search down from what, remember we were talking nine different site possibles yeah. um, uh, a couple of months ago. Now it's down to two basic sites. One is west of Interstate 15 across from the Golden Mandalay Bay Tower. And the second one is south of Mandalay Bay Casino uh, on what's a portion of the Bally High Golf Club. So, But both those sites are a little tight, so I don't know if this design is going to work or not. Mark, the New York Yankees are seeking to become the latest professional sports franchise to take advantage of those record low interest rates we keep hearing about. They want to refinance their stadium costs. How do the numbers play out? You know this stuff real well. Take us through it. Oh, yeah. It's just another mortgage venture. Uh, they're just uh, like if when your interest rate's too high in your house and you hear the commercial on the radio and you, you do a mortgage refinance, that's all they're doing. They're just mm -hmm. doing a refinance on their bonds, um, trying to lower their interest rate, which gives a dramatic increase in cash flow to them because they can cut their debt considerably. So they're going to go back buy up the existing bonds and reissue new bonds to pay those off. But the new bonds will be at a much lower interest rate. That's tax-exempt bond financing. So yeah. that's how that's going to work. And, of course, the Yankees can use the money because they're not doing so well this year. Maybe they can buy some better players. Boy, are you right about that. Mark, each week we take a look back on some of the significant dates in stadium history. And uh, you're chomping at the bit. What do you have for us here? <laughs> this week in 1957, the Brooklyn Dodgers played their final game at Roosevelt Stadium in Jersey City, New Jersey. It was one of eight games the team played at the little-known ballpark that season. It was part of Walter O'Malley's continuing attempts to pressure Brooklyn to allow him to build a new stadium. Of course, they never did, and he ended up in Los Angeles, and that's the end of the story mm -hmm. for Brooklyn. And this week in 1996, fans at Baltimore's Memorial Stadium witnessed the return of pro football as the Ravens play their first NFL game, a 1914 win over the Raiders. 
12 years earlier, the Colts bolted Baltimore in the middle of the night for Indianapolis. And I think we all remember that history very well. Oh, boy. And I have a question for you, Bill. Oh, good. On our stadiumsusa.com website, we have a quiz every week. And this week's question for you, the Big Ten Conference features a number of older classic football stadiums. Many have been in use for a long, long time. Which Big Ten venue is the oldest football stadium? All right. Ohio Stadium. Yeah. Camp Randall Stadium. All right. Kinnick Stadium. Mm-hmm. And Michigan Stadium. All right. I, uh, Kinnick Stadium is out. That I can tell you. The other three I'm not sure about. Uh, <laughs> I have a feeling on this, but I'm, I'm going with uh, Michigan Stadium. An excellent guess, but incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> well, who is it? Are, are you going to tell us or do you have to play Well, the game? as a Badger, I think you can. You can <laughs> That's right. I should guess the answer I, to that. I should. And, of course, you do have an advantage, Mark. You were there for the first game. <laughs> have fun we'll see you next week that's our program for this week join us again next week for stadiums usa on blog talk radio